struggle can't take it from me. Uh, my struggles can't take it from me. Uh, hey, uh, that's why when I walk uh, into the house of the Lord, uh, I'm not trying to impress you. Uh, I'm not trying to compete with you. Uh, but I six or seven people on the way to your seat tell them I'm excited to be in church this morning come on tell them I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning Woo. it's not a drudgery to come to the house of God it's a privilege I just need about 15 witnesses uh, I said it's not a duty to come to the house of God uh, it's my devotion to be in the house of uh, Nobody had to wake me up and make me come. Uh, nobody had to talk me into it. Uh, nobody put a gun to my head. Uh, nobody had to coerce me. Uh, oh, I feel like the writer who said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house. You just start talking about going to church and I get excited. Just the thought and the mention of going to the house of God gets me rejoicing. Amen, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. We, again, want to take uh, just, just a brief opportunity. Uh, I personally, on behalf of this church and the first lady of this house, want to say what an absolute privilege and an honor it is to have all of our guests here in the house of the Lord. One more time, Rock Church, would you put your hands together? Come on, I need you to help me make some noise and welcome one more time all of our guests into the house of the Lord today. Such an honor to have you here. And if this is your first time here at the Rock Church, you should have received 
a VIP invitation card when you came through the doors. And this is just an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. We have a, a small gift and some light refreshments that we'd love to give you and share with you just as a token of appreciation on our behalf that you would come and spend your Sunday morning here at the Rock Church today. Amen, somebody? Amen. And we have a, 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 just a little understanding in this church that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the door. After five minutes, you're just at home here at the Rock Church. Would you turn around 360 degrees and help me greet everybody within your reach and tell them welcome home this morning? Come on, tell them welcome home. They're in front of you, they're behind you. On the, tell them welcome home. Amen. We are so excited to have you in the house of the Lord. And uh, as you can see by the announcements, so many incredible things taking place here at the Rock Church, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Amen. I want to be expeditious this morning, uh, but I do have a few remarks I want to say to preface uh, today's service. This is a special Sunday because today we are going to be dedicating four of our babies, Rock Church babies, unto the Lord in this house today. Amen. And when the church was quite a bit smaller when we first came, we, we would do our best to have a baby, baby dedication service uh, for every individual baby as they were born. But as the church has continued to flourish and grow exponentially, uh, it is near impossible to facilitate that. And so now we have uh, moved that to uh, just a few times a year that we take the opportunity to gather up all the brand new little babies that God has blessed this house with and uh, bring them to the altar and dedicate them to Jesus. Amen. How many of you thank God for the precious gifts of these little children? <clears throat> and I, I want to say this, church, if you would indulge me for just a moment, um, I, I want to in advance say thank you to this house. And the reason I want to say thank you is for allowing me to be a member of this church. Some of y'all missed what I meant by that. See, before I'm the bishop or the pastor or any of those things, I gotta be a Christian. I gotta make it to heaven just like you. And just like this is your place of refuge, this is my place of refuge. This is where I come to, to connect with the body of Christ. And, and the fact of the matter is that being the bishop of this house is not my first calling. My first calling, number one, is to be a Christian, a devoted Christian in my walk with God. Number two is still not my ministry. Number two, my second calling is to be the best husband that I can be to my wife. 
My ministry is not even my third calling. My third calling is to be the greatest father that I can be to my children. <laughs> and I love the new one that God gave me to be the best grandfather I can be to my grandchildren. And then I have a commitment to be the man of God and the leader that God has called me to be. And so I say that because before I am before you as the angel of the house, I wonder if it would be all right this morning if I could also be here as grandpa. Would that be okay? I don't just want to, because today's, uh, and again, this is where I want to say thank you. I, I'm, not, I'm not playing favorites or doing any of that kind of monkey business, but I don't want to miss out on being grandpa today. And I'm excited because my grandbaby is one of the babies being dedicated. Not just my grandbaby, my first grandchild. So thank you in advance for, for, for allowing me uh, to experience this on that level today and not just uh, from the position behind this pulpit. And I've been praying about this service today. Oftentimes, I will have a word for the families, for the baby dedication that, that I will do my best to deliver. And then, after we're done praying with the children, I will bring a word to the house but this morning I feel like the word that I have for these families is the word I have for this house amen and so I, I, as I am uh, launching into what God has given me today don't wait for sermon number two because it ain't coming <laughs> what God has for us today is for all of us and uh, I also want to preface this morning because as I was praying, God took my heart and my mind back to 1997 as a 20-year-old young man, newly married with no children. And God took me back to a place and a moment standing in an altar where God spoke to me in, in a fashion that changed the course of my destiny and my future forever. It, it was in that moment, that time, that God pulled back a curtain. And the long story short is that call of destiny led me to stand where I'm standing right here this morning. And as I was praying and God brought that to my spirit, I could not get away from the word that was delivered to my spirit in 1997. And I felt the Lord compel me to do my best to bring that word to you today in a full circle moment, even to my grandchild and her parents. Would that be all right if I just follow the Holy Ghost this morning? Stand with me if you would as we go to the word of the Lord, the book of 1 Samuel.
chapter six. I wanna give great honor while you're turning there to all of these families today, uh, the Rosario family and their precious little baby and uh, little sister Wren, such a beautiful little angel that God has blessed us with and her mama. And uh, I want to give great honor, of course, to the Sloss and Hoffer families that are uh, here this morning to help us celebrate little Felix. And I give great honor to my family. Amen. The Williams family, Black family, Spites family. However, we mix that all together. And uh, I love each and every one of you very much. And I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing in this house. First Samuel chapter number six. I want to read just one verse of scripture in verse number 12. <clears throat> It says, and the kind took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh. Now, in the way of etymology, most of us are not familiar with that term kind, K-I-N-E. But very simply, that is, if, and if you read in previous verses, it actually calls them the milch kind. And the word kind uh, literally was just a term used for a cow. And the previous scripture identifies these not just as cows, but as milch kind, which means these are cows who had little babies that mama was still nursing. And the kind of the cows took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway. Now this is not highway as in we think of a, a highway, a major road that connects two places. This literally means a road that was elevated, a, a high road. They went along the high road, lowing as they went and turn not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemeth. And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to title what I am going to deliver to you, Destiny's Call. Destiny's Call. Would you put your Bibles down and clap your hands one more time? unto the Lord all over this house. Come on. While you're clapping your hands, would you just lift your voice in a posture of receiving his word today. We need you in this place, God. We need you in this place, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated this morning. When you are studying the word of the Lord, there are several ways in which you can digest the text. And certainly as a preacher, there are various styles of preaching that require a different perspective and approach to studying the word of the Lord. 
probably the primary two categories of preaching that we hear is what we know as analysis preaching and synthesis preaching or topical preaching. And analysis preaching or analytical preaching takes the text verse for verse and, and breaks that down and, 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 and like a funnel takes the book of the Bible and then figures out the context and defines the chapter of the book and what does that chapter mean in the book and then breaks it down even further to what does this verse mean in the chapter and and then you can break it down even further and and begin to study the the words and and the original of the Hebrew and the Greek and and all of those things are an analysis of the text and and when you hear an, an, an analytical or an analysis type of sermon, it, it is very methodical and, and laid out in its presentation of information. And most of the time we, we stop there because we uncover so many good points uh, of teaching and preaching in the text that, that that is where we stop. We extrapolate from those verses uh, what we feel like God is speaking to us. But there is another dimension where if you take that analysis of the text and then you branch back out to other parts of that book of the Bible and of the Scripture, then you bring those individual parts back together. You synthesize them. You can often find a message or a meaning that even has a greater value or context than those individual stories that you find in the scripture. Sometimes you can identify a pattern in the word of the Lord that reveals to you and even, we call it a thematic principle. And oftentimes the, the, the message of the thematic principle can be ten times greater than the individual messages contained within the text. And so such is the case in our text today. The book of 1 Samuel has some very prominent thematic principles that you can discover as you study the word of the Lord. For example, as you begin to study uh, 1 Samuel, which is the book that our text came from today, you will notice that there is an interesting pattern of the word of the Lord mentioning the height or the tallness of men that we don't find anywhere else in the scripture. You begin to read in the Bible describing Saul says that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. And then you look at David's brother Eliab and the Bible speaks about how tall that Eliab was. And then, of course, there is the story of Goliath and the scripture gives us details concerning his height. And so it is interesting because nowhere else in scripture is there time given to describe the height of people. And so when you take those those 
verses and, and those characters and then put them against the backdrop of David, uh, you find out that in leadership, uh, tallness matters. But it's not physical tallness that matters. Uh, it is the height of character that matters. Uh, because even a king that is head and shoulders above the rest uh, could not stand uh, against a man whose heart uh, was a heart after God's own heart. And so there are, there are these thematic principles that, that we can extrapolate uh, from synthesis study. And, and when you begin to uh, read the text, uh, this is the case with the verse that we read today. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 6 uh, and verse number 12, uh, it is only a few verses long, uh, but this text uh, brings to light a story uh, that seems almost arbitrary uh, when you look at it by itself. Uh, you wonder why the Word of God would even take the time uh, to talk about or describe uh, what it is describing. Uh, and there are some things as you begin to uh, uh, do an analysis of the text. Uh, uh, the, the first step, and you analyze uh, what is happening here, there are some things that we can extrapolate from the story. Uh, verse number 12 that we read in your hearing says uh, that the cows uh, or the kine uh, took the straight way. It was a road uh, that was a straight road. It was expeditious. Uh, you understand that the shortest way between two points uh, is in a straight line. So this is indicative of a road uh, that was designed for expeditious uh, travel from one place uh, to the next. Uh, and it was uh, to the way uh, of Beth Shemeth. Uh, and so it also was not just any road, uh, but it was a road uh, that had a particular uh, destination. Uh, if you take this road, uh, this is where it is going to lead you. And then the word of the Lord declares that uh, and they went along uh, the high road or the highway. So again, over and over uh, the text is mentioning the road. It is a straight road. It is a road that is a high road. And I don't have time to get into the analogy of a high and a low road. But this was a high road. And then the scripture says uh, that they were lowing as they went and they turned not aside to the right hand or to the left they were not distracted by anything that was to the right or the left but they had set themselves on a course on the straight road on the high road on their way to a particular destination uh, key. That's where we get the word destiny from. Uh, but they were on the road uh, to a particular uh, destination. Uh, and while they were traveling that road, uh, they would not be distracted uh, to go to the left, or the, which means there was a level of commitment uh, in these cows uh, that said we are going to go uh, to the destination uh, that we are on the road to meet, uh, and we will will not be distracted uh, by anything uh, that is along the way. 
You understand after further analysis that the history of this text uh, brings us to understand that this was a time in which the Philistines uh, had captured uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, and they were holding it hostage uh, and God had caused chaos uh, to break forth in the land of the Philistines. Uh, but the priests of the Philistines uh, did not want to admit uh, or give credit to the God of Israel uh, for the chaos that was ensuing. Uh, and so they came up with this little plan uh, and said, here is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to get uh, two cows. Uh, Two milch kind, two mama cows uh, who have little babies uh, that are still nursing. Uh, and we're going to remove uh, the mama cow uh, and we're going to leave the babies here. Uh, and we're going to take the mama cow uh, way over here. Uh, and we're going to hook uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence and glory. We're going to hook the cart uh, to these milch kind. Uh, and we're going to turn uh, the cows loose. Uh, and if these cows... Uh turn around and head in the opposite direction toward Israel instead of turning around back to where their babies are which would have been the natural response of any mama cow would be to turn back around and get back to her babies they said if the cows turn and head to Jerusalem head back to Israel then we will know that it is God that has done this thing and so there is a story uh, and a principle in the text here uh, that is much deeper uh, than just the analysis uh, of this individual story uh, number one we begin to see uh, uh, if I could say it this way uh, the radical uh, commitment uh, of these cows uh, to the call of God and I'm not going to debate you on whether or not a cow can have a call of God but speaking in context Text, uh, of what God did uh, we, we find a radical uh, commitment to God uh, the, these cows uh, have a mission uh, from God uh, and, and so uh, it involves not just them but their offspring uh, and there is such a radical commitment uh, that they understand the entire family uh, is going to be affected uh, by our commitment uh, to the mission uh, and the hand of God God. Uh, this is a message to families uh, who make up in their mind uh, that we're going to sell out uh, to the kingdom of God. We're going to sell out uh, to the cause of God. Uh, and it's going to change the way of life uh, for mama uh, and for daddy. Uh, and it's going to change the way of life uh, for the brothers uh, and the sisters. These cows had never been on a mission for God. Up to this point, they had always been able to go where they wanted to go and to graze wherever they wanted to graze. And you can begin to see a pattern in 1 Samuel. It is young cows. It is young Saul. It is young David. It is young Samuel. The, the, they are in the most 
tender moments of their lives. They are at the beginning stages of malleability in their life. And the Bible says that these cows, it says that there had come no yoke upon these cows. These cows had never had, Brother Stewart, anything superimposed on them that would cause them to behave contrary to their natural inclinations. They had never been up underneath anything that directed and guided them any way outside of what their natural desires and urges had ever desired. They had never come up under the control of purpose and destination. They didn't know what it was like to have to bear the burden of restraint and structure and limitation. Up until this point, these cows had did whatever they wanted to do. But he commanded them to tie the cows to the cart. They had never been harnessed before. It was foreign to them. They didn't know what it was like to be connected to a weight of responsibility. They didn't understand what this sense of responsibility would look like. And they take the calves and take them away and they create an unnatural situation between them. This is the first time that they have been on a mission from God. These cows are going to be the bearers of God's glory back to his people. And somehow these cows got a revelation of the urgency of doing the will of God without veering to the right hand or to the left. They did not turn and even try to get a cow goodbye from their young ones or to see them again. They simply understood and somewhere caught the mission and the call of God. And they had a radical commitment. There was a sense of divine destiny that came upon them. And they went straight on the road to Beth Shemeth. It was a single destination. It was a high road, a single mission. They made sure not to get caught up in distractions and varying paths that might take them away from doing whatever it was that God had called them to do. There's part of this verse that, that is somewhat puzzling. It says that they were lowing as they went. The loud moan of a mama cow for her young. Why was she lowing? They were lowing because they felt the biological pain of what it was costing them to do God's will. They loved their babies. They loved their children. But they must demonstrate to those children a radical commitment 
to God. It is reminiscent of the writer in the book of Psalms 126 and verse 6 who pens the verse that says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It begs the question, uh, why is he going forth uh, weeping as he's bearing the precious seed? Uh, it's because, go with me for a moment, uh, we get in our mind's eye a man uh, who is an agricultural, uh, uh, maybe a farmer. He, he has seed in his hand uh, and, and he's at home with his family uh, and that seed represents uh, sustenance uh, and food. It is grain uh, for the family to eat. Uh, it, it is the supply and the resource uh, for his family's survival. Uh, and I can just see that morning uh, as the man, uh, they, they put a little bit of food in each of the children's bowls. Uh, and when the children are done eating, uh, they say, Daddy, please, uh, can we have some more? Uh, and he looks over at the bag of grain uh, and he realizes, uh, I'm not going to be able to give them any more of the grain. Uh, and they say, Daddy, please. Uh, and I can see Mama uh, saying, come on, Daddy, just uh, be reasonable. Uh, give them a you, you, Nobody knows like a father knows uh, what it's like to watch their children uh, express a desire or a need for something. Uh, and the desire of a father uh, to want to give and fulfill uh, the need of their child. Uh, but he has to look at his children uh, with a smile on his face uh, and say, children, uh, there's going to be no complaining here today. Uh, we're just going to be thankful for God's provision. Uh, and we're going to thank him for what he's done today. Uh, and he grabs the bag of seed uh, and he heads out the door. Uh, and the door closes behind him. Uh, but from our vantage point, uh, we can see a man whose shoulders uh, immediately begin to slump. Uh, and the big heaves and sobbing uh, that comes from a father uh, who desperately wants to provide uh, for his children. Uh, but he understands, uh, I've got to take this seed uh, and I've got to put it in the ground. Uh, my children don't realize it yet. Uh, but if I give them this seed to eat, uh, we'll be in a famine tomorrow. Uh, there'll be nothing. So uh, he, he looks like the tough, uh, strong man to the family. Uh, but behind closed doors, uh, they don't see the tears uh, as he goes forth weeping, uh, bearing precious seed. Uh, and all day long, uh, as he puts the seed in the ground, uh, he loves those babies. Uh, all he can think about uh, is his children at home hungry. Uh, but he has a mission. Uh, he understands principle. Uh, he understands uh, that ultimately, uh, my children may not see it now, uh, but I'm doing uh, what is best uh, for my babies uh, and for my family. He understands I cannot circumvent the process of my children learning sacrifice. I cannot circumvent the process of my children learning how to trust in Jesus. 
I cannot circumvent the process of God putting us in situations and circumstances where we have to do what we know is right no matter what the cost is and then we have to trust God that his word is true and so when you look at this story about these cows there is a synthesis meaning when you set it next to the other collection of stories in 1 Samuel. Are you doing all right this morning? 1 Samuel is really a story of three people. It's a story about Saul and about David and about Samuel. And this story about the cows is strategically placed at the end of the last judge, which is Samuel, and right before the introduction of all of the kings and the stories of Saul and David. It introduces us to the stories of these other men because scripture is divinely inspired by God and it is not just the words it is not just the poetic flow but it is even the strategic placement of scripture in the word of God that has relevance and so somehow we begin to see that the story about the cows is connected to the story of Saul and of David and of Samuel. The story of Saul begins with Saul being very connected to his father. It first introduces us to Saul by calling him the son of Kish. He is introduced by way of his relationship to his father. In another verse it says that Kish had a son whose name was Saul. And so there is a closeness that we observe between this boy and his father. And they, he is working apparently for his father on the ranch because in one place of the scriptures here in 1st Samuel, uh, we find Saul on a mission one day uh, to find donkeys uh, that had somehow escaped uh, the house property. Uh, and so he is out there with the servants uh, trying to find these donkeys. Uh, and even in his pursuit of what is lost, uh, we see a glimpse of the relationship uh, between him and his father uh, because he eventually turns to the servant uh, and says, we must be leaving. It is getting late. Uh, and my father will be worried about where we are. He was very cognizant. He was very aware of the relationship between him and his father and his father's loving concern for his well-being. It was so entrenched in him that even in pursuit of the donkeys as the sun came down, there was an air of safety and caution because of the relationship with uh, his father. But while he is out looking uh, for the donkeys, uh, 
he runs into Samuel, uh, who is the man of God. Uh, and when he comes to where he is, I don't have time to preach all of this. Uh, he goes off with the man of God, uh, and he sits down, uh, and he eats a meal. Uh, I don't have time to preach it all, uh, but the particular meal uh, was a food type uh, that was specific to the ministry. Uh, and when Saul eats the preacher meat, uh, something happens to him uh, when he partakes at the table with Saul. Uh, and the call of God uh, comes upon Saul in a way uh, that he has never felt it before. Uh, something happens to him uh, and he never even makes it back uh, to his father's house uh, <coughs> before he runs in to the school of the prophets. Coming from the table of the man of God, uh, on his way home, uh, he runs into the school of the prophets. Uh, and there the Bible says uh, that the spirit of the Lord uh, comes upon Saul uh, and he begins to prophesy uh, mightily. Uh, he begins to function uh, under the call of destiny uh, that's in his life. Uh, it comes upon him. Uh, and by the time uh, we find Saul crowned, as king, uh, there is no longer a mention uh, or an emphasis of any kind uh, about his father uh, or his relationship uh, from a family perspective uh, as he submits uh, to the will uh, and the call of God. Begin to read about David. <clears throat> and in chapter 16, Samuel Samuel, the same man of God, comes to Jesse's house. And all the boys except David are brought before him. I don't believe it was an accident. I believe it was on purpose. The request from the man of God was to bring all of your sons. Jesse was not stupid or confused. And yet David is not present. I believe it is because David represents his baby boy. He was the youngest. He was the most tender. He was the most vulnerable. And he, Jesse, knew all too well the uncharted territory and risks and dangers involved in carrying out the will of God and the call of God. And maybe somehow I can shield David from that experience. Maybe somehow I can keep him from that experience. I don't want to experience expose my baby boy to the perils of doing the will of God. We see this then in chapter 17. All of the boys go to war except David. And then his brothers call him to the side uh, and they tell him, come here, uh, what are you doing out here? You're, you're, you're the youngest. Uh, we, we don't want you uh, getting in any kind uh, of trouble uh, or any kind of danger. Uh, but while they uh, are, are trying to grapple uh, with the exposure to risk, uh, David is standing uh, on what would be a field of destiny uh, with a giant standing on it. Uh, while they are trying to keep him uh, from engaging the risk uh, of what's standing in the field. Uh, there is a call uh, of death. 
destiny uh, that is coming from the field uh, to David's life. Uh, and David cannot help uh, but to launch forward uh, and respond uh, to the call of destiny uh, that is upon his life. He defeats the giant. And word of his success grows and his success begins to drive Saul crazy. The Bible says that Saul begins to chase David throughout the land, trying to kill him. He chased him. The Bible says he was into the mountains, and he had to flee from the mountains. He went into the cities, and he had to run from the cities. He went into the woods, and he had to run from the woods. He went into a cave, and he had to run from the... It got so bad that his only option was to run to feigned insanity. When he goes to King Achish, and the Bible says he feigned himself to be mad with drool and slobber coming out of his mouth as he scrabbled on the wall. And if you continue to read, this, this destiny on David's life interrupts everything in the entire thing. He can't go home to see his mom and dad anymore. He can't just be out in the open. And it got so bad that in one place, in 1 Samuel 22 and 3, it even says this, And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you until I know what God will do for me. The condition got so crazy that dad lost the ranch, mama lost the house and the kitchen, and David said, I need to find a place of safety uh, even for my parents and somebody said uh, is that what you get uh, when you obey the will of God uh, is that the kind of reward you get uh, for answering God is this the result uh, is this the kind uh, of uh, how uh, can God uh, allow this uh, to happen to me uh, how could God allow this I'm preaching to somebody how could God uh, allow this uh, to take place uh, when all we're trying to do uh, is the will of God uh, David uh, the cows warned you uh, the cows warned you uh, that there would be a price uh, that would be exacted upon Upon the family uh, when you do the will of God uh, the cows warned you uh, that human submission uh, to the will of God uh, always uh, has a price uh, on human comfortability in life when God moves it beckons us beyond the shallows of a safe existence on the shore into the deep waters of God's great kingdom. And we have to grapple with the fact of not my will for myself, not my will for my children, not my will for my future, but God, I want your will over everything else. Now, come on, somebody. It is in these places uh, that we have to begin to grapple uh, and say, God, uh, 
I didn't plan it this way. I didn't see this kind of struggle. I didn't see these kind of challenges. But Lord, whatever your will is, not my. it's the same thing that Jesus prayed in the garden. I didn't expect to hang on a cross. Why am I suffering when all I'm trying to do is the will of God for my But God, I want the cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but God. Can I preach to somebody? It's destiny's call in this place today. It's destiny's call from Beth Shemeth. It's the voice of God reaching and beckoning you to get on the straight road. Get on the road that's a high road. Get on the road with an expected end. Is there an alternative to this? What if I want to say no to God? What if I would rather seek safety and comfort? Yes, there is an alternative. As a matter of fact, there is one more story in 1 Samuel, and it is the alternative option. It's the story of Eli, the man who made up in his mind that he did not want his kids to have to live under the restraints of God's will. It's the story of Eli who would not demand that his kids put the yoke on. He let his kids do whatever they wanted to do. He was the parent who preached the message, I don't want my kids to miss out. I don't want my kids to have less of a life. He was the man who was convinced somehow that doing the will of God was a lesser place than doing our own will. It was Eli who let his kids do whatever they wanted to do. But his kids and his kids' kids ended up living under the name of Ichabod. The glory has departed. Because where there is no consecration and there is no dedication and sacrifice, where you find people that kick against the yoke of God's will and declare all of that isn't necessary, the glory of God cannot go where it needs to go. The glory of God. I just came to preach to somebody. Lord, hook me up to the wagon of your glory. God, attach me to the weight and the responsibility. God, it might not always be easy. It might be heavy sometimes. But I cannot imagine living a life without the glory of God. I cannot imagine living a life without the presence of God. So God, here I am. Hook me up to the glory. Glory. 
Eli represents those people who say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start looking for another church that doesn't hold that kind of a standard. I'm going to go on Instagram until I can find a preacher who fits my fancy. And then go investigate their church. You know what? You are the definition of when Jesus said they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They, they don't want to live up under a yoke. They don't want to live up under boundaries and guidelines uh, of a straight road uh, and a high road uh, without this. Uh, no, no, they want to do whatever. Uh, they heap to themselves teachers. Uh, I'm going to go find a church uh, where, 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 I, where I could watch that kind of a thing uh, and the preacher will never preach against it. Uh, I want to go to a church where I can wear this uh, and I can do that uh, and I'll never hear a sermon about it. Uh, I'll never hear, come on somebody. Uh, that's the alternative uh, is the, the mindset of Eli uh, who said, ah, I know those were the rules and regulations before, uh, but boys, uh, you don't have to, it doesn't take all of that. Uh, all of that isn't necessary uh, until the day comes uh, that God declares, uh, Ichabod, uh, my glory, uh, has departed. And then finally, the story of Samuel and Hannah. And perhaps this story, in a very unique way, aligns the closest with the thematic principle we find with the cows. Hannah is barren and she's desperate to have a baby. Nobody like a woman who wants a baby and can't have one can relate to the internal desire that she felt. The desire was so overwhelming in her life that she prayed and said, God, uh, give me child, uh, else I die. God, I'm going to die. If you don't give me a child. Her desperation uh, took her into the sanctuary uh, where she was under such duress uh, that the Bible says uh, she opened her mouth to pray, uh, but no sound uh, would even come out anymore. Uh, she had prayed all the words uh, that she could get from her mouth. Uh, she uh, was desperate for a baby. But Hannah... The cost to have what you desire and to do the will of God means that you're going to have to relinquish the natural desire toward your child. It's the young cows. It's the young Saul. It's the young David. And now, it's young Samuel. And here we find the synthesis message of 1 Samuel. When divine election touches your life, there is a destiny that requires 
defying the strongest biological bonds that there are. It is counterintuitive to everything in the human nature. It says stay when your desires say run. It says obey when everything inside of you says do what you want to do. It is so strong that even Jesus remarks like this in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, also, uh, what was he doing? Uh, he was declaring uh, that if you're going to do the will of God, uh, you got to make it up in your mind uh, that doing the will of God uh, is greater uh, than your commitment uh, to anybody else uh, in the entire world. Uh, your mama, uh, your daddy, uh, your brother, uh, your sister, uh, your wife, uh, your husband, uh, your come on, somebody. Uh, it is what the call of destiny requires. He said, if you can't do it, you cannot be my disciple. The story of Saul, the story of David, and now Hannah, like the cows lowing, my baby, my baby. And the Bible says that she nursed him just like the milk kind. It was the baby boy still being nursed by mama. And Elkanah goes to Jerusalem for the feast every year. But Hannah begs him, please, honey, can I just stay at home with my little Samuel? I've only got a few years, Elkanah, and I'm afraid because once he turns four years old, please, and he is understanding, and so he goes without her. She says, I want to do the will of God. But it's my baby. I want to do the will of God. But he's my child. And finally, at four years old, they load him up in the wagons. And mama is packing his little suitcase. For the last time, She's folding his little clothes. And she's thinking to herself, I didn't know it would be like this. And as she packs that little suitcase and she gets little four-year-old Samuel ready to go. Where are we going, Mama? Baby, 
We're going to do the will of God. We're going to Jerusalem, honey. Yay, mommy. With a forced smile on her face. Yes, honey. We love doing the will of God. And she loads them in the cart. And they get to the temple. And now she must obey her commitment to God. And she must be trusted by God to facilitate the will of God in her baby's life. I don't have time to preach it, but oftentimes God's will is vetted by what we're willing to let go of, not what we're willing to hold on to. And she takes him to the temple. Here's an old man, Eli, past his years. And she's going to give her four-year-old baby boy into the hands of an old man to take care of. And I can imagine as it's time to go, panic begins to rise in Hannah's heart. I can't say goodbye. I can't let him go. And her husband puts his arm around her shoulder, baby. God's with us. Honey, it's okay. God's hand is on us. And I can see her choking back the tears as she looks strong in her little boy's face. And he says, Mama, are we leaving? Baby, Daddy and I are going to go, but you've got to stay here. But Mama, I don't want to stay. I want to go. Baby, I understand but God's hand is on you. How do you explain uh, to your four-year-old child uh, the complexities uh, of the will of God uh, and the work of God uh, and the call of God? Uh, you can't. All you can do uh, is live it in front of them. Uh, baby, I know uh, this is harder for mama uh, than it is for you. Uh, and I can see uh, as the temple door closes, uh, can you imagine mama she falls in a puddle of tears weeping my baby my baby I can imagine her crying all the way home like the cows lowing as they went the mama cow I'm doing the will of God I'm caring I want to go back to my babies but Hannah understands that sometimes uh, this is what doing the will uh, of God looks like. I can't imagine her first morning waking up and I always made him his breakfast and got him dressed and prayed with him before he left. And now he's not, you don't understand. They didn't have FaceTime and phones and ways to stay connected. It was separation unlike anything that you and I can even understand in modern society. My baby boy. I can't imagine the mornings that she wept and sobbed. I miss my son. I miss him so much. And then she would 
would go in the room and she would work a little bit on a new piece of clothing for him. A little coat, the Bible says. Probably a little ephod because he was being raised like a little priest. And the priests were grown men, but God's hand was on this one in a unique way. And so all year long, she would work in anticipation. And finally, the day comes to make the annual trip back to Jerusalem. And she's going to see her baby. And can you imagine the excitement, Mama, as she pulls up outside of the temple and she's got the little the little outfit that she made clutched in her hands. And as they knock on the door, she's probably asking Elkanah, honey, do you think he'll even remember me? Do you think he'll even recognize me? And as the door opens and Eli is standing there, she's not looking for Eli, but she's looking past him. And there standing on the other side of the door is a little five-year-old boy that's grown up so much and she didn't even get a chance to see it. And when he sees her, he comes running to the door. My baby, I missed you so much. Honey, look how big you've gotten. Mama's prayed for you every day. Mama, Mama, please don't ever leave me again. Mama, I can imagine the first few years, it was difficult. But year after year, Hannah had to go back to the house of the Lord. And it was a reminder to her over and over again that doing the will of God means that the whole family has to be committed. Music, come. Somebody else cover Isaac so he doesn't have to go on the drums. Or don't even worry about the drums. It's destiny's call. And this morning, These babies are too little, they're too young to understand what all of this is really about. And so the call of God on his little life starts with the call of God on mom and daddy's life. And mom and dad's willingness to say, okay, God, never done it like this before we've never lived life like this before but God we're answering your call hook us to the cart God and we'll get on the straight road hook us to the wagons God and we'll get on a road where we won't be distracted on the left and the right hook the wagon to us God and we'll get on the high road and we won't stop until we reach our destination. The key, mom and dad, 
to make your response to the call of God so radical that your children come with you. I'll never forget driving from Southern California with a 36-foot fifth-wheel trailer. My wife and two little boys in the back seat of the truck left the comfort of everything we had ever known to say yes to God. Watched my boys have to share a tiny space while their friends enjoyed sprawling yards. I watched them have to rotate only three sets of clothing because we didn't have room for anything else in the fifth wheel. I watched them make sacrifice. I watched my wife leave a beautiful custom home and a comfortable life to say yes to God. I can remember driving, listening to the voice of destiny that was coming from Fort Myers, Florida. And I was on a straight road, driving day and night. And I remember as we crossed the city limits and came over the bridge on Old 41, and saw the skyline of Fort Myers. I turned to my wife and to my boys and I said, you mark this moment down. Fort Myers will never be the same. I said, Barbara, Isaac, and Judah. This isn't just my call. This is your call. God did not just call me, but he called all of us. This isn't just dad's ministry, but this is all of us saying yes to the will of God. We don't know what the road has in front of us. We don't know what the future holds. There's unexpected turns. There's dynamics that we'll never know until God leads us. But the answer to destiny's call is yes. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. I'll leave the comfort. I'll forget about complacency. Whatever it takes. Excuse me for my grandpa moment as I'm preaching to all of us. But you know what? You know what following destiny's call does? 
it leads me to a place where I met a young boy named Trevor who had a touch of God on his life. And I told my wife something special about that boy. Grown up with a broken past. And I put my arm around him. And one day I said, you know what? I'm going to take him with me to No Limits Conference. He's going to get a trip with this man of God. I got pictures of him and I in the airplane smiling at the camera. And destiny's call works so unique. Because when we got there, something inside of me, I just call it God's hand. Tell him, tell me if I'm wrong. I said, you know what? There's a young lady I know that you need to meet. Her name is Morgan. I met her along the road to destiny. And here we are in 2023. And now her name's Morgan Sloss. And God's blessed them with a baby cow, I mean boy, Felix destiny's call and one day a beautiful young lady walked in to the church trying to make her way back to God it was evident God God was his hand was on her and would not let her go And First Lady had this thought that passed through her mind randomly. I said, what if one of my sons marries her? The call of destiny. And here she is today. This is Tiana Williams. God has blessed him and blessed us with a beautiful baby girl who is the product of the call of destiny. And this morning, we come together again to make an affirmation and a commitment to God to say, God, we're going to say yes to your will. God, we're gonna we're gonna do what you've called us to do. I want us to stand all over this house. I would like the babies and their parents to make their way up if they would and just stand here in front of me. Secondly, I would like to ask the ministry of this house, our pastors and, and all of our ministerial staff, if you would please join me here behind these couples. Just spread out behind all of them, if you would. And thirdly, I'd like to invite the families and friends 
that are sitting with these families to come and stand as close as you can, get as close as you can behind, behind them. Get as close as you can. Mama, Daddy, little child that you're holding today has a call of God upon his life. And your commitment to God is a great determining factor in that baby becoming what God has called him to be. Your willingness to pay the price your willingness to sacrifice, your willingness to obey God's word is everything to that child. And so today as we pray, we are not really dedicating babies, we're dedicating parents to God. And it's through your dedication that God's hand will be upon your child. I wonder if all over this house you would stretch your hands in this direction as we begin to pray over these families. Would you stretch your hand this way? And would you help me pray right now as we lay our hands on these families?
Come on, would you help me right now? Come on, help me pray. Help me pray. Help me pray. Right now. 